All right. Well, again, it's week three of our launch series. Just as a recap, uh, in week one of our launch series, we talked about how unless you gain a new perspective for your life, uh, you won't really know what it is that we're supposed to be doing and your reason for existence and, and for moving forward with God. And then last week we talked about unless you are having a new position in your heart and in your life given to you by God, you won't be able to receive what we're going to talk about today. New power. Again, new power. Because if the new perspective for your life is that you have a a lot more for your life than just the American dream or any other thing, your life, you're called to literally move mountains. If that's the new perspective for your life, then first of all, that's drastically more than maybe you've planned on. And you're also going to need a little bit more than you have on hand to accomplish that task. We're going to have to call in the heavy equipment of sorts. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word as we talk about new power. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I'll read verses uh, 1 through 4. Again, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going through Acts chapters 1 and 2, this whole series. Starting with verse 1 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And verse 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Lord Jesus, help us to sort this out and to, to give us understanding. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes to see what you see and to gain the power that only you give. Amen. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. Divided tongues as of fire resting on them and they begin to speak in other languages. What is happening here? Today I want to interpret What happens here? The only way to interpret rightly is not my interpretation or your interpretation. The best way to interpret the Bible, this is going to be good right here. I didn't plan on saying this, but this is extra bonus. The best way to interpret the Bible is the rest of the Bible. There is no other way really to rightly interpret the Bible. We're going to go through the Bible and ask the question, what's happening here? Now, needless to say, I'll give you a little more context for what happened in the verses following. Uh, In my own words, all the other Jews who were gathered there for this festival, thousands and thousands of Jews gathered for the Pentecost festival, they were freaked out. They were saying, what is happening here, similar to what I'm saying here. They were freaked out. And in their discomfort, some of them them thinking themselves defenders of their religion, began to scoff the disciples and say, man, y'all are crazy and you're probably just drunk. But Peter stood up 
and gives one of the best sermons ever. He stands up and as green muscles are propping out of his shirt or uh, the biblical equivalent, he is anointed to defend God's word and explain how this is in fulfillment with the promise of God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed on the church to launch them into the world. And as he preaches an amazing sermon, 3,000 people came to know Jesus and got saved in that moment. I would say that's a, it's a pretty good sermon. Not a bad day for the church. I calculated it was 20, 2,500% growth in one sermon. And I don't even see if Peter got a raise or not after that. Not a bad sermon, but listen, not his own power. And so my heart today is I want to warn all of us that the same thing that caused some of these Jews there to misperceive God's power in thinking that they were defending God and his truth, we're not immune from that. And so we need to be careful in how we ask the question, what is happening here? And so what I want to do is I want to clarify three important things, what I feel are three important things about what is happening here with the the mighty rushing wind and the divided tongues and all this power. And as we talk about new power, I want to clarify these things by a a few basic points. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm going to move pretty fast, and I'm going to cover a lot of scripture. So if you have your own Bible with you, that's great. Uh, If not, we'll have it up on the screen. Either way, if you want to take notes. uh, Again, I want to interpret the Bible based on the Bible and not based on my understanding or yours. And so I hope that you can uh, judge what I'm saying according to the Word of God. And I'm going to move fast. So, number one, this new power that we just read about that causes us to ask, what's going on here? This new power found in Acts 2 is, number one, the fulfillment of the previous promise. Now, I want to help connect the dots with the chapter before. And you might see something you haven't seen before, and it's ridiculously simple because it's a simple progression of something's promised in one chapter and then the next chapter it happens. Even though it's simple, though, we tend to complicate things for other reasons and we overlook because of our own personal complications and in our hearts and our minds and in our church culture, we, we overlook and make simple things complicated. So I'm just going to point out something really simple. This is a fulfillment of a promise from the previous chapter. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 1 while they were staying, with, while he was staying with them, Jesus, in his resurrected form, told them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Everyone say promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there's a promise given, and there's a timeline given not many days from now. Uh, And then verse 8, he clarifies more what that promise would entail. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Uh, Another word for martyr. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what that means is what happens in the next chapter, what we just, the first verse we read. All this new power It was a strange and unusual display of what he said he was going to do. You see, it was what they were 
waiting for. It was what they were expecting, but it came in an unexpected way. And there's a little lesson in this for all of us. Have you ever struggled to maintain your hope and expectation for God fulfilling his promises in your life? I mean, is it just me? I think many of us, we struggle to maintain our hope and godly expectation for God fulfilling his specific promises in our life. And if that's you, and if that's your struggle, and if that's your struggle right now, I can tell you, you're not alone. But I want to tell you, you're not struggling because God is failing to fulfill his promise. You're probably more struggling because he's delivering his promise in an unexpected way or with unexpected timing in your life. And maybe your struggle to maintain hope is one thing that complicates something that's in scripture really simple. But let me say something else that complicates what's pretty simple in scripture. I think we complicate what's a clear promise in scripture because instead of reading scripture, all of us tend to read into scripture more than we're aware of. So we read into scripture our own fears, uh, our own anxieties, all of us. It's not just, you know, one denomination or the other. Uh, We all probably come from various backgrounds of all, which further complicates things of a clear reading of scripture, right? But we all read into uh, scripture all of our various fears and anxieties and presumptions, what we think is, is clear to us based on just what, what we think, whether or not it comes from scripture. Or it's a, we read into scripture our reactions of others, Okay, so maybe someone who's a super bona fide religious person, right? Because they have their own TV station or they have their own almighty YouTube channel does weird things and they begin to abuse the power of God and the gifts of God and and their views of the Holy Spirit are rightly responded to. But instead of responding well, we tend oftentimes to read into scripture by reacting to their abuse by misuse to sometimes, subtly, an abuse by neglect through reaction. And so we start to read into Scripture. It's very simply, the power in chapter 2 is a fulfillment of the promise in chapter 1. And so this is one of the reasons, though, why, though we all read into things with all sorts of various and diverse difficulty and background, this is one of the reasons why Jesus calls us to childlike faith. It doesn't mean that we're childish in how we view Scripture. We need to be mature in our examination of Scripture and of truth. But we don't need to be hardened by our negative experiences so that we react and we read into things that aren't there or so that we lose our vulnerability and our expectation of God fulfilling His promise in our life. We need to be childlike. This was a promise given the chapter before, but you know, the baptism with the Holy Spirit which I believe this to be in chapter two, it was a promise given over and over again. In fact, I want to show you real quick how the baptism with the Holy Spirit, other than the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, otherwise known as the gospel, uh, that's the only thing that's accounted in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Okay, so I'll, I'll just run through this with you. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is spoken of first in Matthew 3, verse 11, where John the baptizer uh, says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier, speaking of Jesus, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, it was a promise given right at the very first few chapters of the New Testament. In fact, in Luke, he pretty much says the same words, Luke 3.16, except instead of, uh, I'm not worthy to, to carry his sandals, he says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, but listen, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the baptizer in Mark 1.8 says, I have baptized with water, but he, again referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then John 1, verse 33, John again says, uh, the other John, John the baptizer, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the spirit, you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. See, not yet in scripture had they seen the Holy Spirit descend on someone and remain. The Holy Spirit had descended on uh, King Saul hundreds of years before. And he prophesied, and there was power there, but there was not uh, an indwelling, remaining power. Jesus talks about this promise that's coming, and he speaks about it in all four gospel accounts. This promise. And so what happens here in Acts 2, this new power, the first thing that we read about, divided tongues, crazy stuff happening, is the fulfillment of a promise, a repeated promise in Scripture. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now that's what it was. But next I need to clarify point number two, what it was not. So this new power in Acts 2 is, number two, not the moment of salvation or conversion. Y'all tracking with me here? This is not the moment of salvation and conversion because the disciples were already born again, spirit indwelt, Bonafide Christians. And so the new power in Acts 2 was just that. It was new. It was an additional power from the Holy Spirit who they already knew and already lived inside them. And we're going to get to that, but I first need to clarify that they already were Christians. And I'm going to get into this. This was a, uh, this was not, Acts 2 was not the moment of salvation because they were already saved. In fact, I'm going to flip a few pages back. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. On the evening of that day, this is talking about the, after the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were the disciples, by the disciples because they were uh, for fear of the Jews. Okay, so they're full of fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Small side note. Anytime... The guy you're mourning the death of walks through a wall and you see him, you're not going to have a whole lot of peace. You need someone to say, peace be with you, all right? So he says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw that it was the Lord. This was a new thing, right? Verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. He says again, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And he said, as he said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, I believe, breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revived their dead hearts and they, they received the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of them. I believe this is the, uh, what's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, where they became Christians. Not to be confused with the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is something more which is something secondary, which is something after. This is the moment that they were regenerated. And that's why when Jesus says, as God has sent me, so I send you, what he's saying is the resurrection life inside of me is gonna resurrect your dead hearts so that you're not just trying to obey me, but so that your spirit is revived. You're literally regenerated. You're a new person. You're not just going about life trying your best. You're not, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in your sins and transgressions. I'm making you alive with me. The Holy Spirit began to live inside of them. But all of this was before the promise where he ascended into heaven. He said, wait, wait for the promise to be revealed. And I'm going to share one, one other point with you. Matthew 28. This is the last chapter of Matthew, uh, the famous Great Commission verses. Some of us don't read the verses right before that. And I'm going to read these for you. Before he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore to all nations and, and make disciples, baptize them. Before he says that, it says this, verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, verse 17, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him. Now, about two years before Jesus had given the promise to the woman at the Sumerian well, and he said, there will come a day where the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Well, this day, the the resurrected Jesus is appearing to give the great commission to the disciples. This is that day. They were worshiping in spirit and truth because their spirits were revived. Their spirits were no longer dead. They were saved. They were born again. They were worshiping Jesus because their spirits were empowered to do that, indwelled to do so. They were born again. They had the spirit living on the inside of them. And again, this is before Jesus ascended into heaven and told them to wait and then before Acts chapter 2. And why am I harping on this? Why is this important? Because Jesus told them to wait for the baptism of the Holy, with the Holy Spirit even though they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. You see, they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them like wells of living water. But Jesus told them to wait so that those wells would become springs of living water. Now, here's what that means for you. If you're a Christian in here today, if you know Jesus, if you confess him as your Lord and Savior, and you're not dead in the ways of your old life and your old habits, but you know him, here's what that means for you. First of all, it means that you didn't come to know Jesus by by changing your life around, okay? Jesus drew you through his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came to live on on the inside of you and made you new. And you can take about as much credit for that happening to you as you can take for the work that you put into conceiving you, which, which is no work, right? But if you're alive with Jesus, 
You're saved by God. It's the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus applied to you as the spirit lives inside of you. And yet, this is really important, there's more. Everyone say more. More, good, you're being good theologians. There's more. There's more from the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. He wants to unlock more as you grow in God. There's still new power for you that you need to receive. There are wells that need to become springs in this place. But what if? What if you, what if you don't receive that? What if you don't receive the new power? I just want to drive this point home before I get to point three. If you're a Christian in here and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you and you don't receive more from the Holy Spirit, will you still go to heaven? Yes. But let's, let's talk positively. If you do receive this in increasing measure, you will have new power to bring heaven onto earth. That's why my final point is this. This new power that we read of in Acts chapter 2 is, number 3, an additional grace apportioned to the disciples. Everyone say additional. Additional. Everyone say apportioned. It's a greater portion. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. You see, the salvation that you receive when you're saved, when the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, it's complete, There's nothing lacking what Jesus paid for at the cross when he said, it is finished, which were some of his last words when he hung on the cross. It is finished. But listen, that doesn't mean that God is finished with you. There's more to be apportioned. There's additional power to be apportioned to you that he's already completely paid for. The good news keeps on giving after conversion. He's not done with you. And years from now, you're going to need a a greater portion of his completed, already completed work to be apportioned to your future marriage and your future parenting. And it's all paid for. He's not done with you at conversion. He continues to dole out various additional other graces that are all in the package that he's paid for from glory to glory. I got that Fred Hammond song stuck in my head there. Now, specifically, this new power that we see in Acts 2 and that we're going to pray for today, it's what theologians call second grace. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is after salvation. It's apportioned additionally afterwards. Let me give you an example of this. Yesterday, I, uh, I did a wedding. And um, I tend to like doing weddings a little bit more than funerals. But after the wedding, there was a reception, and there was my favorite restaurant there, Cabo Bob's. There was a buffet line of all sorts of different glorious things. There was the queso. Okay, I won't get into it, but I had myself a portion. And then about 30 minutes later, I had myself another portion. I went back through that line, and I got some more. Now, listen, the wedding host was just fine with that. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not only okay with you gaining more from him that he has to offer. He's pleased. He's not sitting there. If you go to more for him, he's not saying, what was it not enough that I gave you? No, he's saying, yes, I'm a giver. You're a receiver. Let's do this forever and ever and ever. You want more? 
Okay. I was converted at age 14. I was drawn to the Holy Spirit by Jesus through the preaching of my peers in high school, and I was born again. I was regenerated. I was made a new person. I was never the same. And now two years later, uh, at a wild and crazy youth night, right afterwards, there was an altar call, and I was up, up at the altar kneeling down, and I remember that Joshua, the, the guy who had <clears throat> years before led me to Christ, he started putting his hands on me and praying for me. And he started crying, and I could feel his tears. And he started saying, more Jesus, please, more Jesus, Jesus, more. And in that moment, something extremely strange happened to me. Extremely strange. I had an urge to speak words that I didn't understand. Now you might say, Pastor Peter that's not strange. That's just one of your typical sermons. <laughs> now, now listen, I got an urge to speak words that were from a language I had never heard. And I'd find myself in the days after that sneaking away to my car uh, or, or in a closet and just praying these words. And it was a strange and mysterious thing. And listen, I thought it was just meaningless babble because look, I didn't understand it. I couldn't understand what I was saying. And yet, here's the mystery. I couldn't understand why I was so encouraged in my soul and spirit by these words that I didn't understand. It was a mystery. And I couldn't understand why I had new anointing and boldness and fruitfulness from that point on to share Jesus with others and to be a witness of God's power. But listen, I didn't need necessarily to understand it. Proverbs 3, the very first scripture I memorized, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God. In fact, I didn't understand until about a decade later when I picked up the purple book, which many of our church goes through, and I challenge you to to strengthen your biblical foundation. And I could understand some of the things I'm sharing with you. The gospel is something that we receive. It's complete. But it doesn't mean that it leaves you stagnant. There's always more to grow in and to earnestly desire the greater gifts. Let me give you another example. When I am converted to Jesus, I am what the Bible calls justified. Justified never sinned. I'm made new. There's nothing that I can do to complete what's already been completed for me by Jesus. But check this out. I'm still, after that, commanded to go and be water baptized after conversion? Does that mean that something is uh, incomplete with my salvation? No. Water baptism doesn't save me. It's just a means of new grace that's apportioned to me after salvation that helps me grow in the salvation that I have. Now, it's not just an outward symbol of an inward truth, and I love how the Baptists say that. It's not just that. It's more. It's an actual grace. It's what Paul calls the cutting away of the old flesh. It's what Peter will later call the, the power of the remission of sin, the sending away of sin. There's power in it, and it's additional apportioned power, completely paid for by Jesus. Now, if water baptism brings new freedom from my old life, then baptism with the Holy Spirit brings new freedom unto my new life with Jesus, new power. Now, I want to give a 
a small exercise here. Stretch out because I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're in this room and you're alive. Okay, I should see all the hands raised. Now keep your hands raised. You're raising your hand because you're alive, because God gave you the gift of life, right? You have breath in your lungs, oxygen flowing to all the capillaries. Congratulations, God gave that to you. Now, put your hand down if you never need anything ever again from God. Now you should probably keep your hands up. Now you can put them down. Here's the point. It's God who gave you life, but you still need more of his grace apportioned to you today. It's all been paid for. It's all been predestined by him. He understands all your needs and you need to keep receiving. You need new wisdom. And so you need to get with the people that he has apportioned into your life to give you godly counsel. You need new knowledge. And so you need to wake up in the morning and you need to read your Bible that he's apportioned for you and preserved miraculously for you. And come to establish, sign up for establish next week. You'll learn more about how that happened. It's amazing. If you're married, you need to grow in your marriage. That doesn't mean that, uh, that there was something incomplete about your vows on your wedding day. It's just that all relationships require you growing in it. There's more. Listen, if you're a Christian being, you need to grow in being. You know that that's our, our mission statement. We help others grow in being followers of Christ, family-focused, and fishers for men. Because if you have Jesus, if you know Jesus, your most fundamental need is more Jesus. There's more for you. There's more apportioned for you through the Holy Spirit. And new power doesn't make a a disciple superior. You're not any better than any other Christian. You're not superior. But new power does give a disciple ability that is superior to his or her own. And that's what you need for the new thing that God's called you to that's way beyond you. You're not called to move mountains with a spoon. You're not called to make disciples of the nations with your own winsomeness and wit. And can I just be completely forthright with you and say, if it weren't for the Bible, I would struggle to even preach any of these things because I like to think that I'm going to win people over just with my own wit. I need the Holy Spirit power. Thank God for the Bible that corrects my disposition. And you need this too. You're not called to, to, to do anything less, though, than move mountains and disciple the nations. Don't settle for less. You're called to, Acts 1.8, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I want to clarify, as we've been studying this launch series in Acts 1 and Acts 2, we've said that we want this to be a series where God does a new thing in your life. But don't Don't get us wrong with what we mean when we say new thing. We're not talking about like turning over a new leaf in your life. We're not talking about like finding a better you or your best life today. We're talking about taking up your cross and following Jesus into the world. And we're wanting new power to touch new people that he has placed in your life sovereignly. And why is that? Why, why if God has already saved you, does he want 
you to, to, to bless other people? Is it just because there's a few empty seats in church and we just need that? Is that what, is that what God's after? No, because if he's given you life, then as Jesus says, to he who much is given, much is required. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray right now for new power. And I want to ask us all to stand to our feet. I want to ask the people who have uh, requested that come up here to minister to, to come up front as I'm sharing this last thing. In a minute, I'm going to ask you if you want to receive new power from God. I'm going to ask you to come up and that in the last moments of this service, we can pray for you. It's going to be really simple. Now, you might be saying, what if, what if it makes me uncomfortable? Like, what if that thing happens to me where I get like new language coming. I don't understand it. Now, first of all, with that, uh, God doesn't force you with anything. God, the Holy Spirit uh, gives you power through his character. And it all comes with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But even to answer the question, what if you feel uncomfortable with what God does in your life? Well, praise God. I mean, are you comfortable with kind of everything in your life the way it is right now? I hope not. I'm not. We need new power from God. Here's what I want to do. We have people here that we just, we want to pray for anyone who says, you know what? I want to receive more from God, more from the Holy Spirit. And it's not going to be everyone, but it's going to be some of us. Before we dismiss, there's going to be a simple prayer. We're going to lay hands on you, and we're going, to, we're going to simply pray what my friend Joshua prayed over me. Jesus, more of you. Holy Spirit, baptize them. Give them new power. Simple as that. And you know what? We don't have to strive and jump around until we see something happens. We can, as faith, as children, say, God, please, and then trust that he's going to give it what, what he's promised to give wait on him you might be driving in your car and you hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind that's cool make sure you pull over but we're not going to strive but I'm going to do in this moment I am going to ask you if that's you and you want new power from God and you want us to pray for you before we're done here and you'd be so brave as to walk up to the front I'm going to ask you to do that even right now Thank you, God. Anyone else? All right. Come on up. Thank you, God.